Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Vaughn, Capitol Bureau Chief and host of Under the Dome, and you're listening to our latest episode for the week of October 16th, 2023. I'm joined today by my politics team colleague, Kyle Ingram, and Adam Wagner, who is our environment and climate change reporter. Thanks for having me. And we've got Adam on this week because of the past week at the legislature, all of the veto overrides a lot, which have um, impact on, on climate and energy in the state. But our focus today, including that, is about power, about shifts in power, about uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson's move this past week when when Governor Cooper was out of town, and then just the overrides in general. And Kyle and I were in the um, House and Senate for for some of it. Kyle spent a lot more time in there with like all of the overrides uh, with the various bills. So let's start maybe with the. Um, environmental impact ones, because that's a couple different bills that were overridden, Adam. So what sure. what were these bills actually about? So we will start with Senate Bill 678, which is a bill from um, Paul Newton, former Duke Energy State President, that basically it revamps North Carolina's renewable energy rules to a clean energy standard and defines nuclear energy as clean energy. Um, previously, nuclear couldn't be used to meet like portfolio goals, like how much of your power needs to be renewable. Now it can be. And that's important because Duke Energy wants to build small modular nuclear reactors, which are like a new kind of nuclear reactor um, as part of their sort of transition away from from carbon heavy resources like coal. And yeah. So why did, why did Cooper veto it and why did they override it? So Cooper says that it, it basically provides too much help to nuclear and it takes away from like solar um the governor would like to see more solar more wind and nuclear it's another resource that duke can control that isn't distributed so so as we kind of transition away from big power plants duke wants to keep build like new kinds of power plants like nuclear where it controls everything and some renewable energy folks would like to see more solar or when like distributed energy resources that can be owned by more people. So more of a marketplace, less of a monopoly. So some of the other bills that um, with, there's a, a bill that I was focused on is I think SB 512, which was this uh, basically a separation of powers bill, but mm-hmm. it's about um, boards and commission appointments and it takes a lot of the appointments away from the governor it's Cooper now, but in the future, it's going to be somebody else of either party and gives more power to the legislature. And some of those are environmental boards. So what's the impact of that? And this is law now. Cooper, once it passed, uh, Cooper already sued within a couple hours. And we knew this was going to happen. And there's also lawsuits about election bills. We'll, we'll um, talk to Kyle about in a minute. But what, what are the what's the impact of the board changes with the um, environmental boards? Yeah, so the one that's a little more cut and dry is the Utilities Commission. But right now, the governor appoints all five members. This would give the General Assembly two of those two of those seats, basically. Um, 
that's important because they're kind of doing this, they're deciding on what this renewable energy transition is going to look like. Is it going to be nuclear? Is it going to be solar? How much of each um, is wind going to be part of it? So now the General Assembly gets more of a say in that than they had previously, or they get to decide who gets to have a say in it. So they gets more power about power. It absolutely does. It's more yes. power. Okay. Um, Let's, and then, yeah. So the Environmental Management Commission one is a little more interesting, though, because there is a 15-member board. The governor had nine seats. Now he'll have seven seats, with the General Assembly getting six, and Agricultural Commissioner Steve Troxler, or whoever that is, coming up, getting two more. So the governor does not have the majority of the seats on that board, which is central to this legal challenge. Um, going to the elections bill real quick, the that change would have been effective as seats rolled off of that board, mm. which environmental groups were not happy about but okay with because it gave them some runway to, to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish in terms of new rules, things like that. The elections bill that we're going to talk about in a second makes those changes immediate. So. Right. All right, Kyle, you've been like all things election. And what did you think about the just the way the overrides happened? I thought the kind of vibe in the chambers was a little bit different than when they first started overriding vetoes in session. I don't know if it's because this is just what it is now, mm. or maybe even though everyone's upset about the overrides, it's not the same thing as something like abortion mm. or the pistol permit, you know, or, or something like that. How, what did you think about with the so sort of the tone of the debate and then um, the specifics of this one election or two election bills? Yeah, so we're at 19 successful overrides now this session alone, which House Speaker Tim Moore told us was a record number. Um, and you did see in the Senate, at least a lot of these went through pretty quickly, the overrides. It was um, seemed as though the Democrats had picked sort of a designated speaker on each one. They did their speech, then the votes fell as they did. Uh, the House put up a little bit more opposition, I would say. There were, the debate went on longer, especially with these elections bills. So these have been in the works for months. We've got two, SB 747 and SB 749. The first one is just an omnibus of changes to how elections are conducted in North Carolina. A lot of these were called for by these election integrity conservative groups. Uh, the biggest changes are that for while now, North Carolina has allowed absentee ballots to be counted if they come in three days past the election date, so long as the mail was postmarked by the day of the election. That's gone now. All absentee ballots can only be counted if they come in by 7.30 p.m. on election day. Some of the other big things is that there's no longer going to be the uh, allowance of any private money for election administration. You saw a lot of that in 2020, where there were these national grants going to elections boards to help them conduct elections. That's not allowed anymore. There's changes to same-day registration. There's a lot more power given to partisan poll observers. It's a very long list of changes. If you look through that bill, it's going into a lot of different aspects of election administration. It seems like the partisan poll observers is something that um people are particularly concerned about, I guess. Democrats have charged that this could violate the Voting Rights Act. They say it could lead to increased voter harassment at the polls. And we already had partisan poll observers, but this increases some of their abilities, their freedom to walk around the voting enclosure and raises the ability of poll observers that can be in a voting place at one time. So what people who are opposed to this measure say is that having all these people watching people vote especially if they're like clearly one party or another is going to intimidate voters at the polls. So 2024 is going to be 
I mean, already pretty contentious election year with the presidential race. And then um, here in North Carolina, our, we have like every single member of the General Assembly is up for election. We have um, new maps that are coming for, mm-hmm. we'll find out um, as people are listening to this, I don't think we'll have maps yet. It might be within a few days. Um, but, you know, that's the thing about recording a couple of days before you listen that who knows what, what would change, but there could be you know, people double bunked or people being, you know, punished for not supporting someone's bill or the other and, um, you know, basically being, you know, redistricted out of their um, of their place. And then the congressional maps we'll see, too. When we were sitting in the House the other day for the veto overrides, um, all of a sudden, former Representative Zoka was uh, was sitting on the on the bench with me and he uh he got double bunked and ran for, um, or he's going to run for Congress, and that didn't work out with maps, and was not happy about it. I remember on the floor in some comment, he's a Republican, when when they did that. So I don't know if he is uh, back in town in the building because he's hoping for a new uh, a new district or option once um, once the maps are out, but, but we'll see about that. Well, on top of all that, the boards that certify and conduct these elections are going to be massively changed as well. That's the other bill that passed. So we've got a hundred counties in North Carolina each has a county board of election, and we've got one state board of election overseeing all of that. For most of recent history, those boards have had a three to two majority of the governor's party, so they've been Democrats for a while. But the new bill that just went into effect is making all of those boards evenly split between Republicans and Democrats. So it's going to be eight members on the state level, four Republicans, four Democrats, four members on the county level, two Democrats, two Republicans. and. The concern that a lot of people have raised with that is what happens in a tie. And the legislation does not lay out a remedy for a tie, other than that if the state board can't pick an executive director within 30 days, the legislature gets to do it. Hmm, that's an interesting factor. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, all right, well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about power in the executive mansion and how Democratic Governor Cooper's been out of town in Japan this past week, and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, the GOP frontrunner in that primary for governor last year, used it to his advantage. Um, so we'll be right back. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Capitol Bureau Chief Don Vaughn here with politics reporter Kyle Ingram and environment and climate change reporter Adam Wagner. We've been talking about all different kinds of power. And another power play this past week was from Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who, according to the state constitution, if the governor is out of state, this was written a while ago, when you're out of state, like you went with like by horse and whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so Cooper leaves the state a lot. He used to be head of uh, DGA. 
And I remember asking him over a year or two years ago even, because he's a Democratic governor and as a Republican lieutenant governor, you know, what are you going to do when uh, Robinson wants to do something when you're gone? Because that's happened in other states and things have ended up in court. But anyway, Robinson hasn't hasn't tried to do anything as lieutenant governor until until now. And his office sent out a press release asking reporters to come to a special event at the legislative building, which is where Robinson has an office. He really doesn't use it. Um, uh, the lieutenant governor in North Carolina has very little power. You are on some boards, so actually there is a lot of power in some boards, but not compared to other states. Um, and you preside over the Senate or vote in the case of a tie. So he held a presser in the auditorium at the legislative building. There was only one lawmaker there, Jake Johnson, Republican House member, um, and did not have other people there with him. And it was pretty short. It wasn't even 15 minutes long. And it was about Israel. I don't need to tell any of our listeners about what's going on with Israel and the uh, war with Moss. Um, everyone's aware of that. So uh, Robinson wanted to have this um, solidarity with, with Israel thing and proclaim that. But he has also said a lot of anti-Semitic things in Facebook posts and comments before he was elected lieutenant governor. And after that, he said a lot of controversial things about other people. So. He, he brought this up, so of course this is what we asked him about. So I'm going to play a clip from you from that where he addresses my question and others also ask questions about you're saying this now, but um, here are all these things you used to say. So here's him um, answering that. There was never any anti-Semitism uh, intended from those words. Uh, and uh, there's never been any anti-Semitism uh, within me. I've never been anti-Semitic. I've never had anything against the Jewish people. In fact, from a very early age, I've learned about the struggles uh, that anti-Semitism has caused around the globe. And uh, that's what causes me to stand firmly against it. And again, those Facebook posts that you were referring to that happened a, a number of years ago, uh, we've already dealt with those things, moved past them. So that was the voice of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson taking questions from reporters about his solidarity with Israel in light of what he said before. So Robinson is running for governor, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think the presumptive front runner in that in the Republican race. Um, how does how do his past remarks and how does this kind of new stance play into that 2024 race? I feel like a lot of it came up because when I was writing the story, I went to links to our previous coverage, and I don't know if we've reported all of his comments. It's almost like we've done, you know, Robinson has said a lot of things about LGBTQ people and um, still does, you know, including the um, those past few months. And so we've written a lot about that, but the anti-Semitic comments came up when he was running for lieutenant governor and then, and then not as much. So he brought this attention on himself. And of course, you know, every the media pressed him about it. But it also seems like it could be something that he tried to do to talk about it again and get it out there. And it's, it was clearly for for votes. Now, when he initially said, "I'm going to do something as acting governor," there's potential alarm. You know, Cooper's office was obviously alarmed, and you know, put the statement out saying like. Cooper's governor, he's doing the state's business in Japan, he's, you know, having all these phone calls, meetings and everything, but the Constitution does say you can be acting governor. But North Carolina's governor doesn't really have a lot of power, and it's got even less, and Republicans have changed it to, like, the overrides we were just talking about with appointment power, 
even less. And they're looking ahead to whether it's their party's nominee as Robinson or if it's state treasurer Del Falwell or former Congressman Mark Walker or um, or if on the Democratic side, if it's Stein or his opponent, um, you know, retired Justice Morgan, they're just consolidating power for the for themselves. So I I don't know how the move is going to play out next year. I think it's going to be a lot of drama potentially um, to cover. So. So was this them testing the water at all on like, we're going to see if, if we do something when the governor's out of the state, what could this look like or not so much? Yeah, pro- well, um, Robinson didn't want to take any questions that weren't about Israel. So obviously, you know, we had asked him about things that he had said in the past. But then I think at the end, somebody asked, well, were you going to do anything else? And he was like, well, no, I don't I don't think so or whatever. <laughs> Um, so it was pretty formal. If you've like watched clips of, of Robinson or seen him in person, um, the type of speeches he gives, and then it was um, it was a different um, a different vibe where it was just very. And I think that's also the legislative building, mm-hmm. and it's just a different a different scenario there. Um, and it was kind of weird that it was at the legislative building because he's not a lawmaker unless he voted in a tie. Um, the lieutenant governor is sort of that, that gray area of working over there. And we're not like other states where all three branches of government are in one building. Because generally, the governor only comes over for state of the state. And I can't think of another time. Maybe Cooper came once in the past three years when they were um, honoring somebody or um, basketball team, maybe. They're, I could I, be making that up. I don't mm-hmm. know if he came for that or if it was, um, yeah, just some, but it's just generally like you don't, you don't come over to the legislative building because you're over in the executive mansion or, I mean, technically there's an office in the Capitol. Well, too. and to your point, Robinson doesn't even show up in the legislative. He really doesn't. I've gone to his office before and there's just like a little conference table in there and he doesn't really preside. I mean, Senate Leader Berger is the one in charge of the Senate. Um, but I think but, we've only seen him preside mm-hmm. once, even though, I mean, he is president of the Senate as lieutenant governor. I've seen him like a, I've seen this him session, a fair I mean, amount. Yeah. Um, but he, it seems intentional when he wants to come, when it's particular, um, the overrides of the transgender bills, yeah. because that's a lot of what he talks about um, negatively. Um, so I think that, well, I don't know. Well, it seems like it's, everyone's thinking about the next election, election the short session. You know, I know we're not done with the long session yet, but the short session is going to be a lot of, you know, power plays in a sense of attention because they're running for office. So um, anyway. It's not a casino joke, is it? Yeah, Powerful. sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to headliner of the week. Um, I'll go first. My headliner is that the um, one of the Christmas trees in the White House this year is from North Carolina, the one in the blue room. And it's just a testament that North Carolina is everywhere. And I feel like we've had like the turkeys part in there. We've had the Capitol tree. We've had like White House trees before. It's just, um, yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of cool, cool Christmas trees here. So everybody wants them. So that's my, that's my headliner. Kyle, what's your headliner? Uh, mine this past week was Fat Bear Week, which I believe is put on by the National Park Service. Um, once a year, they uh, just release pictures of fat bears and everyone gets to uh, vote on which one's the coolest or whatever. Um, and we almost had that taken away by a government shutdown. But one of the big priorities, I think, was making sure Fat Bear Week continued to happen. So I'm glad we got that. Did you have a favorite fat bear? I can't remember its name, but they released the winner today and it was definitely a big fat bear. 
Adam, uh, what's your headline? I'm going to stick with the National Park Service theme and just say the National Park Service. Um, they bought two houses in Redanthe on the Cape Hatteras National Seashore. So as the, the beach erodes, these houses end up like literally on the beach, which is like National Seashore land, and they're going to fall in someday. And so the National Park Service has to come along and clean this up, and they decided like rather than doing that, we'll just buy these houses. So that's kind of a a new approach for them, and we'll see if they keep doing it. Um, we'll see if it works. I don't know. I just know that when I was out there during Hurricane Lee, or Tropical Storm, I guess at that point, mm-hmm. I was standing right next to those two houses, and I looked down, and I, I am way too sure that I was standing right on top of a septic tank with, like, <laughs> water coming in, and I dealt it out of there. So. All right, nature nature themed episode uh, <laughs> for our headliners and a lot of our um, everything else we talked about. So more power, more environment, more everything uh, to come. Thanks, Adam for Adam Wagner for for joining us on this episode, and Kyle Ingram as always. I'm Don Vaughn. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>